Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Bradford Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hits Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. All right, we're sitting around Thursday, Thursday night. All of a sudden, we get the name. We get a name that we've been waiting for for a long time. The Red Sox finally identified a potential uh, lead candidate for their president-slash-GM job. High in bloom of the Rays is that guy. And before we go on, before we get to the dissecting the high in bloom news, I do want to remind everyone, please rate, review, subscribe. The whole ball of wax. Lord Hobo, thank you for the support. Boom Sauce going to be having remotes at the Lord Hobo Brewing Company coming up soon in Woburn. So that's something to look forward to. But if you're enjoying this podcast, the podcast which helps make managers, as we found out with the last episode, David Ross, please go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, subscribe, spread the word. Getting back to High and Bloom. So when this, when this news is surfaced, when this name comes up, I don't think it, it shocked anybody. But the more you hear about it, the, and the more you look into the candidate himself, I think there's a lot of things which made sense about it. Of the available candidates, of the people who have this experience, which they want to prioritize, of the people who have had success, of the people who are familiar potentially with the division, with what you're dealing with, like he checks off a lot of boxes. And as I wrote today, one of the things also I don't think you can ignore is that this guy is part of a group in Tampa which continuously made brave decisions, and maybe they weren't that brave because you know, you're know you in Tampa and no one's paying attention, but made decisions not worrying about what people were going to think. They identified this is right, this is wrong, and we're going to make them. Whereas I think one of the stumbling blocks with Dombrowski and John Henry was John Henry said to Dave Dombrowski, hey, you're the guy, you're going to make these baseball decisions, you are going to be the guy, the buck stops here type of guy, and I am going to let you do that. Well, what happened was the decisions that Dave Dave Dombrowski made, number one, John Henry start, stopped disagreeing with, and in large part, he stopped 
or I'm sorry, stopped agreeing with, in large part disagreed with, because he probably felt like he was defaulting to exactly the opposite. I was, I was talking about what the Rays do, which is, all right, Nathan Avaldi, we saw what you did in the World Series. We're going to sign you this contract. Steve Pierce, same thing. Chris Sale, we see what you did before. I don't care if you you have the physical issues from the year before. We're not going to wait this out. We're going to give you the extension. All of that, which you know, plenty of other GMs have fallen into before and taken that that track before and with some success but one of the things the Rays have done really really well is get out of bad situations early or before they got bad and I think that is exactly the type of thing which the Red Sox are staring at right now to give you a better example of Bloom and we're going to have John Tomasi on this podcast to to go back and forth a little bit about this news John wrote a really good piece for NBC Sports Boston about looking at Bloom's trade before we get to that I want to play you a few clips from a really good podcast Mark Feinstein of MLB.com did with Bloom to give you a better idea about where Bloom might be coming from. So you've been in baseball for 13 years now. How, if any, has your have your views or philosophies on the game changed over this past decade plus? A whole lot. Um, you know, when you get in the game, um, I'd say even if you're young and inexperienced, but probably especially if you're young and inexperienced, you think you know a whole lot more than you do. <laughs> and you only have to be doing this for a day or two before you realize just how little you know. And I think the challenge is you go forward, and it's something that I've tried to take to heart and something that uh, I think I and we look for in, in a lot of the people we surround ourselves with here is you never want to lose that. You don't ever want to think you have this game figured out. It will, it will jump up and punch you in the nose if you think you have it figured out. And I think a lot of the people who are really able to be difference makers over you know, multi-decade careers and to do it consistently, uh, it's because they never lose that, that notion of there's a whole lot more that I haven't figured out yet. Um, you, you hope there would be times when we disagree. I think that's what you want in a healthy organization. You want to have disagreement, and you know I think it's no different from um, you know when we have when we might have a disagreement, you know, within our staff or you know one staff member to another. Um, if you have people who have you know the right intentions and the right goals in mind, you can discuss those disagreements with each other and push each other. And uh, look at the end of the day, um, you know we got to make a decision and we do, but that, that doesn't mean that uh, those disagreements aren't productive and hopefully, you know, something good comes out of them. All right. I encourage everybody to go check out that podcast, executive access podcast with Mark Feinstein, MLB.com, but to help break down the news of the day, what we're talking about, the high and blue news, a uh, good person that I always turn to John Tomasi, NBC sports, Boston. All right. High and bloom words that I, I don't know if I would, thought I would be saying on uh, at the end of October or words or na- a name that I don't think I would be saying at the end of October. Certainly, I don't feel like I predicted I would be doing a podcast with John Tomasi talking about High End Bloom. Although, John, I kind of feel sort of stupid because... You know, we were so focused. You and I both wrote Andrew Friedman is should be the guy, this and that, and and we're trying to guess these other guys. And and now that sort of where High and Bloom has landed, his name has landed where it has landed. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Absolutely. Although I don't, I mean, I stand by Andrew Friedman. You know, Andrew Friedman is like High and Bloom's best case scenario, right? Because you already know what he can do, and the fact that his contract 
hadn't even had expired. So you're thinking, well, maybe there's a chance. So I don't, I don't fault either of us, Rob, for going in that direction. But now that you see where the Red Sox are headed, yeah, it, it has always made sense uh, that it would be a guy like this. But I, I feel like we were all sort of on the right track, whether we were talking about Falvey in Minnesota or some of these like other young mid-30s GM types who have a better understanding of how to build a pitching staff and how to build a young roster and how to build a farm system and some of these things that the Red Sox have struggled with. So, I mean, by all accounts, this guy seems like the brightest of that bunch, the brightest star of that bunch. Uh, So we'll see if it actually works out this way. But I don't know how you feel. It seems to me like this is probably... Given where the market ended up with Hazen taking himself out of contention and Friedman taking himself out of contention and Theo kind of taking himself out of contention, this is probably the best case scenario for the Red Sox. Yeah, and, and I agree. And there's a lot. He checks off all the boxes, but it, it's not about checking off the boxes because I, I think you and I were both on the same page with Freeman. When you go through his whole thing, there is it makes sense. There is a fit. There is a proven track record. You went from small market to big market. Maybe that's the only thing that we don't have with Bloom, which which is which is how is this going to translate? Which is always a legitimate question. Going from a team with it with the, the always the safety net of no one is paying attention and no one cares and you can do anything you want because no one cares to the big market of Boston. But still, we come back to Freeman. We have the example of Freeman that. This this actually can work where you can go from a small market, implement a lot of the same things and do a big market. Yeah. So, I mean, you look at what Friedman has done with the Dodgers where he took the small market mindset but applied it to the big market. And you're never sure how that will work because there are things you just can't do in the small market. You can't be in the high-end free agent market. You can't necessarily extend your own guys to long-term deals. And they've, they've sort of threaded the needle there in L.A. where you look at it and really nobody is on a long-term deal. The guy making the most money, Kershaw, was only a three-year contract. And so they figured out a way where in today's baseball where youth is key and tying yourself down to long-term free agent deals just isn't the way to win anymore, the Dodgers have showed how you can do it if you have the strong farm system. And so the Rays with – I am Bloom, you you have that. You have this farm system. You have just the high volume of trades. My God, I was looking at it today, how many deals they've made in the last couple of years since he uh, was promoted to executive vice president. And it's it's really like dizzying the number of players that they will churn through year after year. You know, one year they get Logan Morris and he hits 38 homers. The next year he's gone. One year they get Malik Smith. He steals 40 bases. The next year he's gone. And so, you know, you look at how they've done it. And it leads itself, or it lends itself to, I think, more sustainability because you're just not locked in. Like, what's killing the Red Sox right now? It's those those long-term deals for their three pitchers that are just eating up payroll, eating up roster spots, and unfortunately not delivering value. The Rays are all about value. Bloom is all about value. And I'm fascinated to see how that approach will be applied to the Red Sox, assuming he's a guy. We're all assuming he's the guy. Um you know, that hasn't technically happened yet, but that to me will be the most interesting thing. Like, how does he marry that small market mindset with the bigger market resources? Well, so you, like you said in your excellent article for NBC Sports Boston, the you went through a lot of the trades that he made. 
What was your takeaway in terms of, because this is what everyone wants to know, what was your, what is your takeaway in terms of the winning the trades? Yeah, so it's interesting. Like, from the Mookie perspective, they've only made two deals that come anywhere, and really they don't come anywhere close to Mookie because we're talking about an MVP. The first one is Evan Longoria with the Giants. The second one was Chris Archer. And now Longoria, it's hard to argue that they won that trade. They really got nothing. The main piece of it uh, was a shortstop or an infield prospect. He was Sam Fran's top prospect. He's done nothing in the big leagues. You look at a couple pitchers they got in that deal, they're still leagues they they're not really excelling i think one of them got hurt so what they did win with that deal is the fact that they got out from under longoria before his decline which by the way which by the way is one of the things which ever he's been there a long time i think what 2006 or something like that but one of the things that tampa has always been really good at which is getting out ahead of these contracts right i mean whether it's whether it's giving a guy an extension or whether it's trading a guy at the right time, which is what you're talking about with Longoria. But continue about the the Archer trade. Cause yeah, I'm- no, so, that, so Longoria is an interesting one because he sort of falls on both side of, sides of it. So they gave him the rookie extension, which locked down his prime years. He hasn't been an all-star since 2010. We think of him as this perennial all-star, but he, he made three all-star teams at the beginning of his career and then sort of started a, a decline. Uh, so the first contract they gave him was great. You're Brandon Lowe, another one, the infielder that they signed a $24 million deal. He ended up being an all-star last year. Uh, he got hurt, so his season was ended a little prematurely. But he had a month in the big leagues, and they signed him to an extension because they recognized the value. Longoria is somebody, they gave one extension, which fits this criteria we're talking about. The second extension they gave him, six years, $100 million, that came right before his decline, or right at the start of it. And they got out from under that deal after year one. So, you know, we look at Chris Sale. If this is illustrative uh, of anybody that that we could look at with the Red Sox, you know, Sale's deal just starting and him potentially, we don't know what he's going to be health-wise. Maybe there's something to watch there in terms of Longoria. So anyway, the Longoria trade, it's hard to argue that they won other than the fact that they saved like 80 million bucks. Uh, when all was said and done, and when we're able to use that money the next two years, which have ended up being 91 seasons. The other one is the Archer trade. That's such an outlier. Uh, they really seem to have won that one. And Archer was another guy. His decline had clearly started. Pittsburgh thought they were in it at the deadline, which was stupid. And so they acquired him, and you get Tyler Glass now, who looked like a potential all-star before he got hurt, and then Austin Meadows, who was an all-star. And then the third guy in that trade is a, is a pitching prospect who people think might have been the best player in the deal. So that's the kind of deal where if you trade Mookie and you get that kind of return, I think it makes it a lot more palatable, a lot easier for fans to swallow, knowing that there's talent coming in after that. So, I mean, those are like the two big deals that he has made. And then beyond that, they've just hit on so many guys where – they either buy minor leaguers from teams or it's prospect for prospect deals, or it's the guy like, you know, a Brad Miller, who's a solid player and he gets turned around for somebody decent. So there's been just deal after deal after deal like that. Tommy Pham is another one where they recognize the Cardinals had a surplus of outfielders. They traded three minor leaguers. He's turned into a very productive player for them. So it's just year after year after year, they find these guys who can plug holes. And then just as soon as they get them, they move on and, and bring in somebody else. Yeah, and I'm going to go to – I'm going to mention um, the story that I wrote, which is along those lines 
about doing these deals. And, and it's sort of a – there's a caveat that comes with this conversation I'm going to bring up, which I, I do think that showing the track record that you are able to, to pull the trigger and not worrying about – ramifications or what people are going to think. You just know this is the right move to make, to make. Longoria is, I guess, in Tampa, that maybe is the best example of that because he was such an iconic player there. But to have that mindset, which we just don't care. We just don't. We know we are confident in our process and we're going to do it. Going into what the Red Sox are looking at right now, that's a big part of this, John. It just is. I mean, it. it he does have... Two things going, or well, he does have one thing going for him, that he's a new guy, and any new, any new guy can say, hey, this is a new start, and I'm not beholden to any other contract or any players or any evaluation before. I'm the new guy. I'm going to do it my way. But at the same time, you don't have the safety net that that people don't care. Like, he can do a lot of this stuff before and not care what people think because no one cared about anything. But... But in Boston, everyone is going to care whether or not you trade Mookie Betts and what you got for him. But I do think that they're looking at this guy off of this track record and saying, you know, he has the balls to stand by what he believes is right and, and make what are, are really, really difficult decisions, even in a small place like Tampa. Yeah, so I read your story today, and the first thing I thought was, what you just said it's one thing to be fearless and not care what anybody thinks in tampa it's another to do that in boston you trade evan longoria and there was an outcry but it's an outcry among Rays fans and there's just not that many of those you know compared to boston you trade mookie Betts, you had better be prepared to live with the consequences and live with the idea that people will be reminding you every day of when your prospect goes over four at double a and mookie hits a homer wherever uh, you're going to hear about that. So I'll be curious to see if that attitude can be maintained in a place where there's just more interest, more pressure. Now, by all accounts, he seems pretty you know, secure in himself and confident, but you won't know something like that until you see it. And then the other thing you mentioned, which is a good point, the idea of you can come in here, they're not your players – if anybody benefited from that, it was Dombrowski. When Dave Dombrowski got here, he gets rid of Pablo, he gets rid of Hanley. These are big contracts that the Red Sox had to eat, and he was able to do it because they weren't his guys. So I think, you know, Bloom will come in here. The Red Sox have done a pretty good job. I don't know if this was their intent, but they've primed the fan base to accept. I don't know if accept is the right word, but to recognize that some serious hard decisions and some big changes are going to be coming I think the fact that a new guy is coming in and making them versus, you know, any of the four who have been running things right now who, who would be continuity within the organization, I think the new guy will get a, a longer leash from fans because they've, you know, been primed to recognize, okay, this is going to be a hard offseason. Well, you know, and as people listen to this, maybe we already have the answer to this, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if you're talking about a Bloom presidency, um, for baseball, baseball operations, and and Eddie Romero or Brian O'Halloran GM position, you know. I've been wondering that too. Yeah, I mean, I, I because as you know, one of the things that I keep referencing the a really good podcast that Mark Feinstein of MLB.com did with Bloom in I, I forget when it was, but 
but one of the things that Bloom had mentioned was that this job you, is just not a one-man gang anymore. It's This is why these structures are set up like they are, which is GMs and presidents. And obviously, he sort of shared the baseball operations duties in Tampa as well. So, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, they're kicking all these guys or guys and, and women to the curb. Um, because they're hiring this person, I, I don't get that vibe at all. I, I think that you know there's these people are going to still have a pretty big say in things because, in large part, of the reasons that we have identified for the last few weeks, which I think that the way that they've handled this organization and there's been a lot going on over the last few weeks, I think that they the organization and John Henry and ownership like what they're doing. So I don't think you're going to see a mass exodus here. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how that goes. I mean, you never know uh, how people feel about if, you know, they wanted to be GM or and, and now they don't get that opportunity. You know, maybe that leads to some hard feelings. But I, I tend to agree with you. I think that the four people they have in place here are, I don't want to say Red Sox lifers, but they've been here a long time. But, they, but John, they also know the organization. We can't discount that either. That was one of the baffling things about why this, when this was taking so long, is that, we're almost at November here. You're dropping in someone from outside the organization saying, go get them with an organization you can study is all the live long day, but you don't know it as well as these other people do. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So I do think there'll be continuity in that sense. I had wondered, does he bring in his own GM? You know, like Theo goes to Chicago and Jed becomes his GM, that kind of thing. Uh, does he want to bring in somebody to be his GM? and then sort of ask these other people to take even another step down or remain in assistant roles, which could be a little dicier. Uh, but you're right. You need that continuity moving forward because this isn't like we, we've been so focused on the Mookie aspect of this offseason, but there are so many moves that need to happen just for the team on the field. Forget about the payroll. It's like, who's your first baseman? Who's your second baseman? Who's your DH if you lose Martinez? Who's your right fielder if you lose Mookie? Who's your closers that you don't really have one? Who are your starters who are going to back up the three starters that could get hurt and miss the entire season? Each of them for all you know. So there are so many dominoes that need to fall. And you're right to have somebody come in brand new and be like, okay, here are the keys, go get it. And you have no idea how to drive the car. Like you need, I think you need that continuity. You need some of those people. So I'm with you. I think there'll certainly be a role for them, and I'll be fascinated to see if one of them is actually named GM. Yeah, I think I my that's my guess. I don't know, but yeah. um, and again, because people listen to this over and over and over again, they'll be listening to it in two weeks from now, and it'll see archaic. But uh, whatever, it's it's a good conversation now. They'll be listening to it ten years from now, and they'll say, "God, those guys were right on the money as usual." It's amazing. It's amazing. By the way, congratulations. There's a very at least a fifty percent chance you are going to be a major league manager after doing this podcast in the next two weeks. Where, where... It's either me or Chris Mason. One of us is going to be a big league manager. <laughs> um, but you know, when you're when I was going through that sort of narrative about the not being afraid to move on and how Dombrowski was, you know, you kind of get the sense that he he just he he fell into that trap which so many people fall into after winning World Series, and this is one of the things that sort of irked John Henry. The name that when I'm going through this narrative, the name that jumped to mind was Brock Holt. Like Brock Holt is the guy that every you know all these fan people are screaming about, and, and obviously Brock Holt is a, a valuable player, a good player, um, but to me he sort of represents that guy. Which and I don't know this, 
but th- that someone from outside would be like, no, we can do better than this. I, I know, you know, and same thing with yeah. Mitch Moreland, maybe like you brought up first paper, but those are the type of guys that I immediately think of when it comes to a guy from the outside coming in and saying, well, you know, I, I don't really see the value. Maybe like you guys have seen the value because you've seen what they've done in charities and in the community and in the clubhouse and everything else. I'm looking at it from a little bit different perspective. Absolutely. And if you're a team that's worried about 208, if you're a team with limitless resources, then fine. Pay Brock Holt three or four million bucks to be a utility guy. But if you're a team on a budget and a team that's looking at, if you're looking at a situation fresh, then you, it's very easy to say no on Steve Pierce, no on Nathan Avaldi, no on Brock Holt, no on Mitch Moreland. And that's, that's one of the things that Tampa has done so well. They've uh, had just a ton of churn and you you think of what kind of a strong stomach you have to have as an executive to do that where you find a player who fits and seems like a winning player and before he can even settle in he's gone and replaced with the next guy and you have to have a lot of confidence in your ability to evaluate other organizations you have to have a lot of confidence in your ability to develop guys that you uh, uh you know attain and it's like how how difficult that is in a place like Boston, where if you find someone who works here, then you don't want to let them go. You know, it's like, you know what, Brock Holt, he's shown that he can do it here. Why would we want to take our chances to somebody else? And the answer is, well, because that other person is younger and maybe a little healthier and maybe a little more dynamic. It maybe only costs you a million bucks instead of three million bucks. And now maybe that gets you a reliever that you couldn't have had before. So there's like a domino effect to this. And I do think that there will there will be a little culture shock if somebody like Bloom comes in here and starts taking those kind of hard looks at the roster. And I know it's it's not apples to apples because Tampa is such a different place. But can you think of anybody along those lines where Tampa, even in the tie, even when Friedman was there, that Tampa said, "Oh, you know what? We're going to sort of get in an uncomfortable situation, or we're going to." We're gonna make a make a run at this person because we we know that they've been so good around here. I can't remember anybody, and, and I'm probably missing somebody. But you know what what comes to mind is how many times they've moved on from guys. You know, or it's the Belichick thing. Moved on from guys a, a year earlier rather than a year later. So you're asking me another executive that acts that way? No, no, I'm asking like in Tampa. When when's the last time? Can you remember a time? that they have, like, made an ill-advised signing um, because of what we're talking about. And, and, you know, I don't think, like, the Tampa... Yeah, so, I mean, the closest one might be Longoria, that six-year deal for Longoria where, you know, his numbers after 2010, from, like, 2010 to 2012 or 2013 were still really good but maybe not superstar. And then 2014 on, they suddenly just became good player, not great player. And they gave him six and a hundred because he was the franchise cornerstone. That might be the only move. That's the only move that's jumping to mind for them. And what did they do? A year into it, they recognized we're nowhere close. Uh, he's not a part of whatever our next great team is going to be. Better to move on now. I'm sure they wish they had gotten more for him, but just removing that eighty million. Imagine if the Red Sox could remove David Price's money from the equation right now. Or, I hate to say it, Chris Sale's money, as, as great as he's been. That's something that they would do in a heartbeat. That's something Tampa was able to do and recognized and acted. I think that's probably the only one that jumps to mind. 
Yeah, and and it's amazing. And you talk about that Longoria contract. And as much as it was, as much as the allocation of resources that was for the Rays, it still wasn't a ton. And it and, and, and also like the I get I think the highest annual average salary that they've had ever. You know what it is? I th- I think it's Charlie Morton this year. It's a well, two- Longoria was sixteen and a half or whatever. Yeah, so you know, Charlie Morton was right year. around there. He was like what fifteen? It was two. Two for thir- yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the highest paid guy on their team. And by the way, he was worth every penny this year. All-star, you know, set the set the example in the rotation, helped picked up the slack when Blake Snell got hurt and when Glass now got hurt. And he was like their rock this year. So you talk about a team recognizing uh, a guy who was worth splurging beyond their means on a short-term deal. That's a great example. Yeah, and I think the interesting part, you touched on this. The interesting part is that if any of these three pitchers who are going to be eat up about $80 million next year in sale of Aldi in price, if any of them show signs of having a good year, and then it's not the conversation because in Boston what we do is you had a good year, we're going to expect that you're going to have another good year. For a guy like Bloom and the way that he's operating in Tampa, it's you had a good year, now this gives me the opportunity to trade you and reset some things, right? Yep, absolutely. And I don't know if, you know, the money slash physical concerns slash, you know, clubhouse concerns in the case of Price, I don't know if those are enough, you know, where any kind of successful season would would cause another team to be interested. But you got to think that that's how he'll be looking at it. And even before you get to that point, I also have to think that he'll make every effort to move somebody like Price this offseason. And, you know, you have to figure out the tipping point of how much money you want to eat. But, you know, that would be a guy that it wouldn't shock me at all if, if he ends up being one of the first big moves these guys make. All right, so next week we'll be doing the uh, Why Eddie Romero is Now a Good General Manager podcast, right? We'll be doing what, what happened that Kaim Bloom fell through. <laughs> Why it's a blessing in disguise. <laughs> all right, all right, thanks. All right, another one in the books. Thanks to John Tomasi. Thanks for Mark Feinstein for doing an excellent podcast with High and Bloom. Thanks to High and Bloom for giving us the news. Thanks to the Red Sox for doing something this offseason. Remember, once again, rate, review, subscribe, spread the word, listen, all of the above. Bradfoe Show, Boom Sauce. We'll see you next time. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. 
It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Ever wonder what it's like to play in an MLB game? Play Loud is your exclusive look into the fun of the game as we mic up the league's biggest stars and follow them with dedicated cameras both on and off the field. Watch game-time reactions to some of the biggest plays and follow your favorite players as they chat in the dugout with their teammates between innings. You never know what you're going to see or hear. It's baseball like you've never watched before. Tune in for new episodes of Play Loud only on the MLB YouTube channel. MLB YouTube channel.